Hello, everyone. This is Pam, the Cafe con Pam, the bilingual podcast that features Latinas, Latinos, Latine, Latinx, and people of the global majority who break barriers, change lives, and make this world a better place. Welcome to episode 219 of Cafe con Pam. Today, we have a conversation with Sandra Velasquez. Sandra is the founder of Nopalera, a Mexican botanical bath and body line. Sandra's main ingredient, the nopal, is more than an ingredient. It's an ancient symbol of Mexican culture, strong, resilient, beautiful, and has always been there, just like us. She founded Nopalera to elevate and celebrate Latinx, Latina, Latino, Latina culture and remove cultural stigmas in body care. Her core mission is to fight racial injustice by showing up in the face of racism and anti-immigrant mentality. Listeners, this conversation with Sandra was so awesome. I had been waiting a while because I had been hearing about Nopalera from different folks that have told me about it, they have asked me about it, and I couldn't wait to get into the conversation with Sandra. It was super fun. She's awesome. Her mission and her dedication to her brand is so inspiring, and I really hope you get a spark of inspiration or maybe a lot of motivation, inspiration to create and build your own business. This episode is great for those who are looking to maybe start a business or you already have a consumer goods business, or maybe you just, you have a service-based business. I think we talked a lot about business aspects and how she truly built Nopalera and how she got into what she does and the experience that she came in with and her why. And so I really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed my conversation with Sandra. Now let's listen to the sponsor of this episode. Hi there. My name is Antoinette Genevieve Williams, and I am the founder of Apotheosis Art. Our mission is to elevate emerging and semi-established artists and creatives by providing an engaging online art experience and platform. We truly believe in the power of art, and it is our goal to share that belief and passion with others. You can find us on Instagram at Apotheosis Art or visit our website, www.apotheosisart.com. Yeah, so this conversation, we covered a lot from her having grown up in San Diego. We kind of had this quick conversation about the different stores and the different life that happens in San Diego, that border life that is so unique to this region, how she moved to New York City, how she started her role in CPG brands and how that gave her the experience that now she uses to teach others and to also bring her brand to stores and big known stores such as Nordstrom. So we explored all the things. We also talk about money. We talk about the importance of pricing correctly. We talk about being, quote, too expensive for some and really dismantling the belief that Latina brands can't be expensive because why not? We can. We deserve. We're worthy. All of the things. So I'm going to stop talking and I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Sandra Velasquez. Sandra, welcome to Cafe con Pam. Thank you, Pam. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you and explore all the things about you and your awesome, such beautiful brand, Nopalera. Thank you. But before we get into Nopalera, 
Tell me who you are. What's your heritage? Yeah. So my name is Sandra Velasquez. I was born and raised in San Diego. My family is from Mexico. Um, on my mother's side, they're from Guerrero. And on my father's side, they're from the north, from Sonora. And actually Sonora and Veracruz, to be fair. So yeah, so that's my heritage. So I feel, you know, 100% Chicana. That's kind of my identity because, you know, I'm from the border and I grew up with lots of Chicanos uh, as well as, you know, Mexicanos. So it's a very unique identity, you know, that's specific to a region. Very regional for sure. So I am from Mexico City. A lot of my family's in, in California. And then I went to college in the Midwest, came to San Diego because my sister was married to a guy who was in the Navy. And at the time, they were stationed in San Diego. And so long story. But when I landed in San Diego, I realized that very specific identity to San Diegans. Yes. That Chicano, I mean, we have Chicano Park, we have Barrio Logan. And so yeah. it's very unique. It is. About the, the Chicano experience, Chicanx, Chicana experience. Yeah. That I often say I'm not a Chicana because I'm, I grew up in Mexico. Yeah, you're Mexicana. So yeah. I'm very Mexicana. And so, de hueso colorado. And so... Mm-hmm. Tell me more about this Chicana identity. How was it growing up in San Diego? You know, like anyone who grows up anywhere, when you're growing up, you're like, this is normal, right? Like everyone's Mexican, everyone speaks both languages, you know, the culture is everywhere, it's abundant. And it wasn't and really until I moved to New York that I really was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone's Mexican or Chicana, not even, even here in New York do people... Like you don't even use the word Chicana. Like if I say I'm Chicana in New York, people are like, like they've heard of it, but it's not, it's, you know, because here in New York, everyone's Boricua or Dominicano, Mm -hmm. you know, and yes, we have Mexicanos here in New York, but it's a totally different, you know, on that because, you know, it's more people who have just arrived, right? So a lot of poblanos here. So in other words, the Mexicanos that are here in New York are not, they haven't been here long enough to have like children to be my age, like to have like Chicano culture, right? Because that is what Chicano is, right? We are Mexican-American. We are the, you know, the first generation. And so it wasn't really until I moved to New York that I really was like, oh, okay. Now I really understand my identity, like in the kind of the landscape. And I still, I've been in New York for 21 years, like, which is way too long, but (laughs) I still feel very much Chicana, like, because I grew up, like being able to go to Tijuana for lunch and come back kind of like, you know, one foot on each side. And that was just normal. So, you know, often when you leave somewhere, you realize like, oh, I really am from over there. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, you mentioned the going to lunch to Tijuana. That took me a long time, like a long time to understand because again, I'm from Mexico City. And so for me, going to Mexico was like, I'm going to the airport. I'm going to take a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Like get there. Right. And so my friends from Tijuana, they'd be like, no, we're going and we're coming back today. <laughs> today. And I would be like, que hueva, that's a long time. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. What are you talking? That's yeah. a that's a trek. I'm not yeah. ready for it. And they're like, no. Like they're like, no, it's like five minutes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now I get it. I've been in San Diego for yeah. 10 years. And so now now I'm about that life. Yeah. But at the beginning, I resisted it so much. <laughs> and that border life town is so unique. And even when I go to Arizona a lot. The Mexicali border life. Yeah. It's different from San Diego. San Diego is so unique. Yes. When people think of San Diego, they don't think of like, oh, it's a border town. It's not like Juarez or like, you know, Mexicali or or like, you know, they don't think of San Diego as a border town because it's such a tourist destination, but it really still is a border town. You know, Uh, we have a serious border. So yeah, they're all, they're all unique. All the border towns are unique. So you grew up in San Diego. How do you end up in New York? Yeah, great question. Because every time, Pam, I tell someone here in New York that I'm from San Diego, they're like, why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) 
were like, wait, you were are from paradise and then you came here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I moved to New York for one reason only, and that is music. And that's because I have been a musician my whole life. I went to music school in Los Angeles. And when I graduated, I went literally like the day after graduation, I moved to New York. There's no place like New York in terms of the, the arts, in terms of the live arts. I love San Diego for all the other reasons. But if you're talking about the diversity of music and like the quality of musicianship and musicians and access and venues, like nothing can really beat New York. And by the time I was 18, I had already played like everywhere in San Diego. I had already like played the Casbah. I had already played, you know what I mean? There's only so many places to play, you know? So, and New York really felt like my pace. Now I've been here for 21 years. So now I'm tired, Pam, and I'm ready to come home. Okay. (laughs) We'll welcome you with open arms. Yes, I'll see you in Barrio Logan, okay? But anyway, that's why I came to New York. And it was, I don't have any regrets. Like, it was correct. I came here, I built my music career. All of the opportunities that, you know, came my way were because of being in New York, you know, so. I love New York City. I was in New York City in July last month, literally a month ago. Nice. I was actually in San Diego for my birthday so, <laughs> last uh... month. Yeah. <laughs> so... You studied music from a Mexican-American family. Was that ever like, why? Doctor, teacher, lawyer, accountant, you know, those are like what we hear all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, I'm really grateful that my parents were always supportive. And in fact, I almost want to say like, it's, I credit them because my mother forced me, you know, my mother grew up in Mexico, like, you know, in El Campo, like <laughs> not from like the AFA, not from the city, you know, so she forced us into piano lessons and she, you know, that's why I became a musician. I was actually forced <laughs> as a child. So I didn't have a choice. And my father, even though, you know, he was the homicide detective in San Diego, which is really intense. Whoa. He's also an amazing painter. So he's an artist. And like this painting, if you can see behind me, like that's his painting. And so I'm really blessed that my parents were like, okay, great. Like, you're going to go get a music degree. Like, vete. <laughs> okay. So you studied music in LA, played all over San Diego, decided to go to New York. How was like that New York life as 21 years ago? Yeah. It was really tough to get used to winter. Every year I was like, really? It's like this? It's like this for real? Like this long? And it took me like a two years to really buy a real, like invest in a coat. Because every year I'd be like, nah, you know, que abrigo ni que nada, you know. But eventually you're like, okay, no, re- winter's real. How did you not freeze? Well, I did freeze. I froze. <laughs> <laughs> When you melted, you bought a coat. I just kept layering because, you know, in San Diego, like people wear coats like for fashion, you know, you're in San Diego. So people are like, yeah, Ugg boots. You're like, you don't need no Ugg boots in San Diego. Okay. (laughs) I don't, but people wear Ugg boots with shorts. Yeah, I know. It's I know. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> now that you're in New York, you're like ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And in, in New York, nobody wears Ugg boots because it's first of all, it's a dirty city. Like you can't wear those kind of shoes out. They'll just be... They're not functional. <laughs> they're not functional for walking in the subway. So anyway, yeah, so it was it was tough, you know, for weather-wise and also culturally. Like I, it was a big cultural awakening. Like we were just talking about, like I was like, why can't I get some legit tortillas up in here? You know, mm. where are the taquerias? Like, you know, in San Diego, it's like, which taqueria do you want to go to? Do you want to drive two right. blocks or do you want to drive three blocks? You know, and and by the way, drive, right? Yeah. <laughs> and here I was like, you know, and it's taken this long, literally like 20 years to be like, okay, now I know where like, there's some good spots, but it's still not like as accessible. And I still smuggle tortillas from San Diego. I go to Pancho Villa Market. <sighs> Okay. And I bring a suitcase home with me to New York every time I go. suitcase. Yeah. And TSA is like, lady, what are you doing? I was like, have you been to New York? (laughs) 
The tortillas, they are garbage. And when you fold them, they break. That's totally unacceptable. Aww. So I'm bringing the real deal from Pancho Villa Supermarket, okay? <laughs> I love that. So you go to New York to explore music. And it's been 21 years. Yeah. So what happened in between? What's the messy middle that we're missing? All sorts of stuff. I mean, my career in music was like 15 years here. You know, like I only just recently stopped playing music because I started Nopaleda. It's not like it was short-lived. I mean, I still have. It's not like we we officially disbanded or anything. Like if someone calls me and offers me enough money, like we'll go to the stage, you know. So my band was Pistolera, which rhymes with Nopalera. And, you know, Pistolera, you know, played. We opened for Los Lobos. We opened for Little Downs. We played Central Park. We played Brooklyn Park. You know, we played Town Hall. We went to Mexico. We went to Europe. We did NPR, like a lot of amazing things. So like we did it, you know what I mean? We released three albums, like, you know, music in television, et cetera. So we had a great run and that's been the majority of what I have. That's, that was my identity, you know, for so long. And so, you know, this whole Nopaleta thing was not planned. It's not why I came to New York. It wasn't something that I foresaw, but now I can see that the thread, it, like the mission is really the same. I'm just not doing it through song because Pistoleta was all about the culture. You know, like I sang about immigrants' rights, like women's empowerment, you know, all of these things and really wanted to give a stage, you know, to the culture and the stories. And now I'm just doing the same thing, but through soap. <laughs> I love it. And so Pistolera was born in New York. Yes. Yes. Your team members. Yeah, my bandmates, they're all here. They're all in New York. And you built this career in music. Did you ever do like multiple things or were you a full-time artist? No, in New York, you have to have five jobs, Pam. Okay, it's like required. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, so I moved to New York. I started Pistolera and I always, for, for like 15 years, I, I worked at uh, Barnard College, which is part of Columbia University. But Barnard College is the women's college part of it. It's across the street from Columbia. So I worked there in, in arts administration for the dance department. So again, totally random, but it was just my day job. And because it was a union job, I had summers off. So it was like, mm -hmm. okay, this is the best day job a musician could ever ask for because it's not like it doesn't drain my energy. And I have three months off in the summer. I have Christmas break. I have spring break. I have health insurance, blah, blah, blah. So I did that for way too long as well, you know, because <laughs> I just was like, I can't think of a better day job that's going to allow me to tour. And even though I wasn't making enough money, it was, again, it was like the trade-off was like for the freedom, you know, to be able to do what I wanted. So that's what I did. And then from the Barnard Dance Department, I went to the Juilliard Dance Department, which is, you know, mm. what people think of as like fame, you know, like the fame yes. school. So I worked at Juilliard for a bit and then totally randomly fell into the grocery business. That's a whole other long story. But my most recent day jobs before I actually launched Nopalera was for CPG brands. So I worked for different like food and beverage brands in sales and distribution. So I like was in the trenches of the grocery business, but not in the store, but like for the brands, like, you know, in the buyer side, not on the buyer side, but I was like the one pitching to the buyers, right? So I was like working in sales mm. and like, yeah, and managing distributors and merchandisers. And so, yeah, so I worked for a lot of great, you know, brands. And now here I am. Well, You said long story and totally random. And of course, we're going to break that down. Yes. <laughs> Because I don't think it's random. Hearing what I'm hearing, I think it was supposed to from what we know now that Nopalera is. Yeah. How did you end up in this role? <laughs> yes. So it was just random, literally random in that my boyfriend, who's still my boyfriend, his neighbor was like their family wanted to start like a health beverage company. And 
they were like, yeah, we need people. We need someone to help us. Like, like they knew that I was like, I had like an administrative, like, you know, get shit done kind of mind. And so they were like, okay, can you help us? Right. And so that it was really just an opportunity that came out of nowhere. Like, okay, sure. For me, it was an opportunity to just like be able to leave my, like the nine to five. Mm -hmm. So I actually did that at the same time while still working at Juilliard. So that was really stressful. Like, like doing another job, like at my job kind of thing. And then I was, yeah, like full on, you know, like helping to launch and run this company. And then that totally crumbled. But then because I was in that industry now, like other people, you know, knew me and they were like, oh, can you come work for me? And then that led for just one brand to the next. Right. And then because of that experience, because I gained all of this, like, you know, real world in the trenches experience, I was able to now help other brands. So I still like currently teach a class to food and beverage brands to prepare them so that they don't fail like the first company that I worked for did because most people that start food and beverage brands, they started out of passion and they think they have a good mm -hmm. idea, but they have zero idea what they're getting themselves into. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. So this brand comes in and they say, we need help. Yeah. You potentially have the capacity. You wanted to kind of leave this job. And so let's jump in. Yeah. And you have no experience. That's right. None of us had, the thing is, none of us had experience in the food and beverage industry. So it was like, they just needed help, you know, and they knew that I knew how to make things happen, just to basically put it bluntly, like, because that's kind of what I do in life, you know, like, that's kind of my specialty. Personality like, wise, that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we need to start a band. Okay, no problem. Oh, we're going to start a company, you know, no problem. You know, whatever it is, like, I know how to start things really well. Finishing things, Pam, on the other hand. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, There's always like <laughs> one dish in the sink, you know, <laughs> but starting things, you know, yeah. So none of us had experience. And so we learned as we went, which is what a lot of brands do, to be honest with you, unless like you have like, you know, you're hiring like experts to come in or like industry veterans to come in, which by the way, don't really want to work with people that don't know what they're doing because then they're having to teach. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Right. We learned the hard way. <laughs> I always love exploring the messy beginning and the messy middle. Yes. So much mess. So much mess. And we always like the Rex to Riches meritocracy story. No, no, no. <laughs> Started from the bottom. Now we're here. That's not true. And so nobody has like literally does that jump. It's not true. It's not possible. Yeah. That, that's not real. Yeah. So you jump into this role, kind of have to get acquainted into all the things. Yeah. Why did this company fail? Are you open to sharing that? For a couple of reasons. And this is the, these are the things that I teach to the, my students in my class now, because I want to help them and prevent them from falling into what people call the valley of death, mm. which is like a lot of new brands, they chase vanity metrics. Like they're like, I want to get in Whole Foods. And I'm like, what do you think happens when you get in Whole Foods? Like you think like the money's going to just start pouring in? Because no. <laughs> right. Okay. So new brands, they chase vanity metrics. So that definitely happened. It was like so much effort and stress to try to get into Whole Foods and to get into more Whole Foods and just so much you know, labor and time and energy spent trying to do that instead of trying to really, really focus on being small and growing responsibly. Also brands, they spend too much money in, in the wrong places too fast mm. because everyone wants like the results quick and CPG is not a sprint. It is a marathon, you know, like all of the brands that you know and love, like think of any food or beverage brand, let's say GT's kombucha. They've been around for over 20 years. You know, it started with like him and his mom. You know what I mean? The battle did not look like that when they launched. Like you have to start so small and be so scrappy unless you're coming with like tons and tons of like investors. Which that even takes time. 
Yes. Even with professionals, it takes time. And that's the other thing I tell people. I'm like, (laughs) it just takes longer than you want. So like prepare yourself mentally now. And if you're looking for like quick money, I recommend the stock market. (laughs) Okay. Like become a day (laughs) trader. If you're looking for, you know, you're in it for the long haul and like your mission is really like, you know, who your customer is. And I think that's the other, that's the other reason brands fail that I see is that they create their product before knowing like who they made it for. Product market fit. Otherwise known as product market fit in layman's terms, like who needs this? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Do people even need it? Do people even need it? Like, why do people need it? Tell me why, you know, and that's really hard for a lot of brands to, you know, that should be an easy question to answer. And that's also why, like, you know, no paleta, like, kind of took off so quickly, because I started because again, like I gained all this insight from seeing these brands fail and seeing how brands work that I did not set my prices, I did not launch, you know, until I like, study the landscape, you know, until I knew like what was out there, what was missing, who I was going to make this for, who was going to talk to. And then I made it. And then I priced it based off of where I wanted it to be, you know? Mm, so much to unpack. So <laughs> much to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm a business coach. And so I'm an intuitive business coach. So I work a lot with energetics and and really a lot of deep stuff and not really like bro marketing techniques. No, 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 They're yeah. so old school. Yeah. And so all of the things that you mentioned, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Can we like peel it a little bit? Totally. But let's take a coffee break and then we'll come back to that. Okay. 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 Sandra, do you drink coffee? I actually do not. I'm like one of those weird <gasps> Mexicanas that doesn't drink coffee. I'm drinking water. I started drinking matcha. Oh, matcha's great. Yeah. Yeah. I started drinking. I, de- I do need caffeine. So I need something, but I just don't. Coffee is not. I just don't like the taste, honestly. I'd much rather drink a gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, no judgment here. Do you have a morning ritual where you drink something in the morning or are you? I started drinking a matcha latte in the morning mm. I, that I make at home. Just like I have the powder and the mix and that has been helping me because I like the way it tastes. I can add oat milk to it so it's not too hot. And then, you know, it, it helps with the caffeine, but I don't feel like jittery. I'm not like sweating, you know, so that's so far it's working for me. So I'm like, okay, maybe I finally found my, my morning drink. Yeah. Much is really good actually for, because it has the antioxidants from the green tea and it allows the caffeine to kick in. So yes, I'm with you on the matcha for sure. Well, on my end, (laughs) we are drinking coffee and I'm drinking for Sigmatic again. Mm. So I drink mushroom coffee. I bought some of those recently on a trip and I just haven't tried them yet. Is it great? Do you love it? I love it. Did you buy the packets? The individual packs? That's what I bought. Yeah, but I haven't. I don't know where they the went. Instant? Somehow they got lost. Yeah, the instant. Okay. So I learned about Four Sigmatic because I got some samples for the instant. And then I was like, whoa, what is this? Because my sensitivity to a lot of things, when it comes to coffee, I was more sensitive to certain coffees than others. And mm. I started noticing it. And so then I was like, what the heck? And then when I un- uncovered Four Sigmatic, I realized that it didn't give me that like extra jitteriness mm. if I drank it. And so I looked into it. I read a lot about mushrooms and the properties that it has. And I got like pretty excited. I have a code, Stay Shining. If you want to try it. Yeah. An affiliate code. And it's it doesn't make me jittery. Okay. So... It's like my regular morning coffee that I drink and I drink it black. And it's like, you know, when you say I don't like to taste the coffee, I I do the like plainest. Okay, cool. And so otherwise I go visit local coffee shops and that's when I drink other coffees. But typically for my daily is the mushroom coffee. 
Okay, that's good to know. I want to try it out. Yeah. And they have matcha. They have a matcha mix. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that has the mushrooms. And mushrooms and matcha. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mushrooms and matcha. Let's get back to the show. Okay, Sandra, so let's explore now how Nopalera got started, how you got it in 200 stores and Nordstrom in the first seven months of business, which is something that people would be like, wait, how did yeah. this happen? So we'll unpack all of it. And tell us a little bit more about product market fit, which is what we were talking about earlier and why product market fit is so important. Mm -hmm. And it's something not to be rushed when businesses or brands go into like their passion product that they yeah. believe so much in. Product market fit is crucial to launching a brand. Tell us more about it. Yeah. So I think that if you're going to start a business, right, you're going to launch a brand, it has to be for a reason outside of yourself, if that's makes sense. In other words, I didn't start Nopalera because I personally love to make soap, right? That's like an internal facing feeling like, oh, I love to make soap. And again, going back to my music background, I really understood this looking back on my music career, like why product market fit is so critical because most musicians, right, they don't start a band or, or write a song because of who they're, who's going to hear it. Most musicians mm. don't, right? Like, yes, all the famous songwriters do, right? right? But most musicians, like most like bleeding heart musicians and artists, they start from a passion and they want to express themselves. And that's an internal facing feeling. That's like, I love this. And then they find themselves in this position of like, how do I get other people to like this thing that I like? And then you see all these brands struggling, like, I don't have any sales. Like, I don't know one's following me. And I'm like, what are you providing for people? <laughs> right? With Nopalera, it was really like, okay, I just can see as a consumer when I go to the stores, right? That why am I not seeing any like Latina brands on the, on these, on these like really nice, you know, premium retailer shelves. And I see a lot of like African owned brands, right? Like I'm seeing like Shea Moisture, I'm seeing Nubian Heritage. I'm seeing like all of these like beautiful brands that are clearly like expressing their culture on their packaging but I didn't see that for Latinas. And I'm like, well, why not? We are actually the largest minority in this country, if you want to still call us a minority, mm -hmm. right? And to me, that was the opportunity. You know, I'm like, wow, this is actually missing. So, you know, in the business world, you would call this the white space, right? Like this is the yes. white space opportunity. For me, I call it the brown space because I'm like, this yes. is what's missing. Where This is the brown <laughs> space. Not only like, do we not have enough or I don't see any like high-end Latina brands, you know, not just Latina owned, but like in the branding, like show it to me, like scream your culture to me, like from the shelf, you know, that's what I saw that was missing. I was like, I need to do this. And the moment that I had the idea, I was in San Diego at my parents' house and, you know, eating my nopales con huevos at the kitchen table. And I had been experimenting with soap making. And I just was like, that's, you know, I started to like use soap recipes that would normally call for aloe vera. And I was like, well, what happens mm -hmm. if I just put nopal? Because First of all, I don't have any aloe vera and there's nopal is literally my parents' front yard because it's San Diego. <laughs> and so right. I would go to the front yard with like my guante, like, you know, like el cuchillo and I would cut off a, you know, a penca and then I would put it into the soap. And I, that's how it kind of the, the first experimentation started. But then once the idea came to me, you know, I was like, I need to do this because if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it like badly. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Or it's going to be from like a culturally appropriated place. It's going to be like, like Johnson and Johnson or Unilever are going to try to try to create this like Latina brand that's actually not, you know, made by a Latina. And so I was like, I know that I can do this. Like I have 
the business, you know, like mindset, and I have like the sales experience, I understand branding, you know, I can make this happen. And so once I had the idea, it just felt like a calling, like I couldn't let it go. There was no like, oh, should I do this? Should I not do this? Let me ask the audience. I was like, I'm doing this. FYI. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) Just so you know. And my family was like, okay, that's nice. You know, like you're going to start a soap company. Okay. You know, I didn't even really tell many people, honestly, like I was just quietly working in my house. You know, the first person I called was my friend, Abby, who did the branding. Like before I did anything, I was like, I have this idea for a brand. It's going to be a Latino brand. I'm not even sure what products I'm going to make yet, but I just know that you're going to do the design. So let me know if I can get on your calendar and we can like, you know, I'm going to make you a deck and I'm going to tell you like who it's for and what did I want it to look like. And that was the first person that I called my designer. And the second person that I called was my friend, Julie, who is like a wordsmith. She's like a copywriting genius. And so she was the second person that I called and she, and I was told her the idea and she was like, yeah, I don't think I know any, any brands that are using nopales and skincare you know, at least not like overtly, you know. So those are the two people I called the branding person and the copywriter. And those are the only two people that really knew for a while. Uh, And then we just quietly worked on the branding, you know, for like a year, you know, it took a long time to really refine the branding, like a year, like nine months. Yeah, like of like, the ideas, like the the sessions, right? This is not just like, oh, I had someone make a logo on Fiverr, right? This is like, I'm building a brand. Like that was the intention from the beginning. The intention from the beginning was not like, I like to make soap. Let me just like make it and put it out there and sell it on Etsy. Etsy No, I was like, I am making, I'm building a brand. And the goal is to put it, is to get it onto the shelves of like Nordstrom. Like that is the, like we designed it with that in mind, right? Like in other words, like, all the work that we did in the beginning was very intentional. So I love this, but I love it because it makes it so intentional and so expansive in a way that I don't think we are invited to think that big. Yes. And so I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh my gosh, so excited because we culturally... Yeah, we sell in the swap meet. We yep. go into like farmers markets, and so that's right. And San Diego, you know, I just went to the swap meet, and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Really allowing yourself to say we deserve a space right next to whatever brand that yes. is like, you know, it's been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's so much power into that. Yes. Did you ever doubt? I did not because that was actually the whole purpose of it. I was like, the whole purpose of this brand is exact is like precisely to say that we deserve to be here. And that just because it's Mexican does not mean that we deserve to be in the bargain bin or that it needs to be crafty or at the street fair and nothing against Etsy or crafters, by the way, I love those places, right? Like, (laughs) it's just that there's already plenty there. Right. So this was like what I'm seeing the brown space opportunity where that's happening is like over here where like I see all of these like French, you know, named brands. I see mm-hmm. Italian named brands. And, you know, again, this is like going back to my mission of like even with Bistoletta, I'm like, we're here to fight Eurocentrism. You know, this belief yes. that like because it has a French name or because it has an Italian name or because it comes from Western Europe, a.k.a. made by white people that therefore it's fancy, it's worthy of a higher price tag. And no one complains if they're buying like, a, you know, a croissant for like $4. But if you like, ask people to pay $3 for a taco, they're like, why is it so expensive? And I'm like, who made you think that, you know, right. And so it's, you know, if I had named this brand, like Le Cactus, 
right? Then people would be like, oh, yeah, $14, no problem, right? Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, it's going to be in Spanish. I'm going to put Spanish in the copy, like on the box. You know, not only is the brand going to be in Spanish, but there's going to be Spanish in the copy on the box. And that is the whole point. The whole point is that, like, this is a Mexican brand and it's expensive. <laughs> yes. And you pay for it. <laughs> yes. And you're going to pay for it, not because you know, I'm going to convince you, but because it's gonna, I'm going to make it so beautiful that you're not, you're going to, it's going to become, it's going to be irresistible. You know, it, it was all on purpose. You know what I mean? It was very mm -hmm. much intentional. That was the, that's the whole purpose of the brand, you know, mm -hmm. because Lord knows we don't just need another soap. Right. And I'm not here to just be like shop small, like forever. Like I'm not looking for like any affirmative action purchases here, you know, like I'm here to just like put us there on those shelves and it's going to and normalize that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So much. So you make it this a conscious, radical, purposeful decision from day one, which I support so much because I think there's a lot of power and, and depth and rootedness and groundedness in making a decision from day one that you're going to be a badass brand desde el principio. Yeah, that's right. And that creates the foundation of, of whatever it is that you're creating. That's right. So you go into this process of building the brand with a copywriter, with a designer, you are making the soaps. Yes. And so then what happens? Yes. And then, so, you know, I was still learning to become a formulator. So the first thing I did, you know, even before I called, you know, my designer, my copywriter was I invested in an online course for, for organic skincare formulation. So Formula Botanica is as an organic skincare formulation school based in the UK. And they teach, they have this amazing online platform. They have thousands of members all over the world. So I was learning to really become a formulator. So, you know, I was learning to become a formulator. I was talking to Abby, my designer. So the, all of that was like the, the year leading up to before launching. Then I had to decide, okay, what products I'm going, am I going to make? You know, my friend, Julie, the copywriter, she really helped guide me because she has like years and years of experience in the, in the beauty industry specifically. And she was like, is this for the face or is this for the body? And I was like, both? She was like, no, the face is its own thing. You have to decide. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, good point. And that actually, like that question in that moment, you know, sometimes people ask you one question and it kind of just changes mm -hmm. everything. And that was that question because I build myself and sell myself as a bath and body brand. I don't say like I'm a skincare brand because I have zero interest in making eye creams. I have zero interest in anti-aging. I have zero interest in making just like a bunch of shit for your face. That's just not what this brand is about. Like this is like, this is a culture brand and it's about like, you know, rituals and, you know, and I also just don't use those products. So like I could not stand behind them, you know? So yeah. once I made that decision, I was like, okay, great. Now I don't need to worry about formulating all these other things. I'm just going to focus on bath and body items. So I'm like, I'm going to make soap and I'm going to make them beautiful. And I need to make them in the shape of the nopal because Lord knows we don't need another square soap in this world. And then I'm going to make like one exfoliant, like a body scrub, you know, and then I'm going to make like a solid, you know, moisturizing bar, what some people call a lotion bar. And, you know, I just started with those products. So I had to narrow it down. And then it was just working with Abby to like, okay, these are the boxes. It was a lot of like shipping samples back and forth, like making sure that the box could be designed, you know, to fit the the soaps, you know, that I was like custom making. I had to order molds, you know, custom molds. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of like little pieces, you know, you can't just like, okay, you have the logo, let's launch. Right. No, it's like all of these right. like <laughs> customizing all of the components. I had to find somebody that would customize a tin for me, you know, et cetera. So 
all of that sourcing, that takes a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. And then finally, when I had everything, then it was like, now I have to build a website. Okay, now then I have to take, you know, product photography, right? Like there's so many components that go into launching, you know? And yeah. one of the, I think the best things that I did for the brand in the beginning was that once I had the logo with a woman, right? Like what we call like the cactus goddess. Once I had her, and before I even had any actual like products and boxes or product photography, I ran interest ads on Facebook and to create a list to launch to. And that's like, mm. for me, one of like the best decisions that I made because so many brands, like they put in all this work into like formulating, creating their product, like actually having it manufactured, the boxes, the website. And they're like, okay, great. Now I have to go sell it. Like, who do I sell it to? Right. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to amass a community first. And I'm going, and all I had was that like, you know, the logo of the woman. And I just ran interest ads to like women, women who like, you know, Mexico, like very in, like targeted interest ads, like women who like, you know, shopping, women who like skincare, women who like Sephora, you know, pe- women that like handmade goods from Mexico, like all of these things, and just accumulated a list of like 800 people. So that then when I launched officially, like on the Los Muertos, I had people to launch to, you know, and yes. so, so then I could be like, we're live, you know, and like I led them up to that point, like, okay, we're going live soon, stay tuned, stay tuned. And then we were live and then everybody went and bought, right? And then it just, and now here we are like 20,000 followers later. (laughs) Well, there were a lot of things in between. I'll break them down. Yeah. (laughs) I love this though. So again, going back to the strategy and being very intentional. Yeah. Like from a business standpoint, the intention matters so much. It's not about like, I'm going to create a business just because I want to. Okay. And- yeah. Why yeah. to who? Why who where? Yeah. Why who where? Why who where? where? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I tell you know brands now. I'm like, why are you making this? Who needs this? Mm-hmm. And where do you want to sell it? Because mm-hmm. I answered all of those questions before I anyone even knew I existed. And, and it makes so much sense the success that you've had because there's intention behind it. And I think a lot of times we see we only see the other side, right? Like yeah, we only yeah. see like, oh, twenty thousand followers later. Yeah. Must be nice. Yeah, exactly. But really, you're breaking it down into saying nobody knew what I was doing for a year. Yeah. Because I was really working in the in On the, the foundation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was working on the foundation. I'm like, you can't build a house until you build the foundation. And the foundation, you cannot even see it. Like, you know, when people are constructing a new house, like mm-hmm. they're in the hole, right? Like you can't see it yet. It's not glamorous. <laughs> but if the foundation is not strong, then things can stumble. They just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you both ran, you you created all of these things that happen in between. For someone who is like, okay, I'm hearing it. I understand it. Are you open to talk about money? Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about money because that's, people are always like, how much does it cost? I'm like, first of all, let's stop whispering. Okay. Right. Because right. <laughs> yeah, I'm always talking about money, like with my students and my food and beverage students, because it just pains me that no one wants to talk about the money. You know, people need to know how much things cost. Agreed. 100%. And, and if we're going to dismantle the gatekeeping aspect of doing business, then yes, let's show it transparent. And I love yes. it. Yeah. So startup costs for someone yeah. who's looking to start a high-end brand. Yeah. What do you recommend? I'm going to answer based off of me, right? Because if you go Google this, you're going to see, there was a recently an article, yeah. I think Beauty Independent, right? They like asked all of these founders, like, 
what are the realistic startup costs for starting a brand? And literally the answer, answers were like all over the map. Some people were like, oh, yes. you need a million dollars. Some people were like, no, you need 50,000. Some people were like, you don't need anything. First of all, it really depends on the product that you're making and where it's going to be made. And I say that because I have the advantage of having a, the type of product that can be made in the home to start, right? So if you're listening to this and you're like, I want to start a, like a new snack brand, I'm like, you can't make that in your home. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to work with a co-packer and that co-packer is going to have minimums. And that's, in other words, that's going to be your cost, right? So I can only yep. speak for me, right? Because soap and bath and body products and candles, you know, and perfume, like these are things that are, you know, non-consumables, non-consumables that you can start in your house, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that your startup cost can be very small because you can control the quantity that you're going to start with, right? So like, let's just talk about all the components again. Like, are you going to have to make something custom to have your product made? Like for me, I had to invest in having custom molds made, right? Like Mm -hmm. my soaps are like that because I pour them into custom molds that I had to have made. (laughs) Okay. So that's like, I only ordered like a hundred molds in the beginning. I want to say it's, it's like, was like $5,000 or something. I can't even, it was something small because I had very little made, you know, and then you know, the ingredients you can again buy in smaller quantities when you're just starting out. So the ingredients are not actually the most expensive component. It's really all the other stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't just say I want to order a hundred tins. No, my first order of tins had to be five thousand. Like, so you know, there's also like another over five thousand dollars, right? And then the the jars for the exfoliant, like you can't just order a hundred jars that are custom printed, right? So that was like twenty five hundred jars, right? So that was also like a couple thousand dollars, right? And then, you know, every component has like its certain MOQs. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going through this like individually so that people understand that it's like, it depends on your product and all the components that go with it, right? So for me, like think about all the custom things I had to have made. I have jars that are custom screen printed. I have a custom soap mold, you know, and then of course the packaging, right? You can't just order a hundred boxes, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, and when you're ordering small quantities, like for packaging, the cost per unit is much higher because it's still costing the same amount to turn on the lights and pay employees to go to work to print your 1000 little boxes as it does to make 50,000 boxes. So my first boxes were really expensive and I only ordered like 1000 of each because that was like the bare minimum that they would allow me to get away with. And of course, now my last purchase order to my box manufacturer was 50,000 boxes, right? That's where I am now, which obviously reduces, you know, the cost per unit. Again, it depends on like, what are all the components, right? But Everyone needs to comb through line by line and ask every single supplier, what are the MOQs? (laughs) And then decide, like, do you know that this is going to work, right? Or do you want to test the waters? In which case, just pay the higher price for less quantity while you like start, right? And so by the way, when I did this, I had no savings, right? So like I did everything like paycheck by paycheck, which is why it took so long because it was like, okay, this month I'm going to buy the jars, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Next yes. month, I'm going to buy the the boxes, you know, et cetera. And I put things on my Amex. You know, I asked my designer for a payment plan. Like I did not come with like this, like, oh, I'm going to start a company and let me just roll in this like savings account that I have like waiting around for this business to be started. No, I still have mm-hmm. thousands of dollars in student loans to this day, you know? Yeah. And I'm just saying that again, to be transparent so that people know, like, you don't need to wait until you're free from debt or till like some magical day comes, like you can still start, you know? Yes. So I think all in all, like the full startup cost with like branding and the packaging and all of the stuff and the website, you know, it was like $25,000. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And that I made that back within the first three months. Nice. 
And again, it goes back to intention because I've seen it with my clients where there's a lot of fear that they're still like, ooh, but if people are going to buy. So bringing it back to product market fit. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to have doubt if people are going to buy it if you've done already your homework. The work. That's right. And so when you're for sure. <laughs> That's right. I did not have any doubt that it was going to work. I just didn't know how fast it would work. So that was my only, and I wouldn't even call that a doubt. It was just like, well, now I need to see like, how fast is it going to move? Like when I ordered my first round of tins, I was like, oh my God, 5,000 tins. This is going to take me like five years to sell through this. And they were gone in like three months. Right. And so, you know, I had no doubt that it was going to work, but again, it's back to your point of like, because I did like a year's worth of like market comparisons and what's on the market and what's the opportunity and who am I talking to and who am I making this for? And let me design it for them. Right. Like I didn't make this for me, you know, like, again, I didn't make this because I love to make soap. And now I'm trying to get other people to like the thing that I like. (laughs) So how did it happen that you got yourself into 200 stores in the first seven months and Nordstrom? Yes. And so I'm going to tell you the truth. And it's going to be a very unhelpful answer to anyone that's listening who's trying to start a business. Okay. But I have to tell you the truth. And it's going to go back to that what we're talking about. Most of the accounts that I'm in, like 90% of them came to me. Mm, yes. And that sounds really snobby and unhelpful. Like, oh, just sit back and they'll all that come to you. That is unhelpful, but I like it. It is true. Like I still, I get wholesale inquiries in my inbox every day, like four, four a day. Why do you think so? Or why do you know so? I know so because two reasons. Number one, the branding is gorgeous. And number two, because I ran ads. All of those wholesale accounts, they saw my ad and they were like, I saw your ad. I have a store in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd love to stock your products in my boutique. You know, how do I become a a stockist? That's literally how all of them happen. And then Nordstrom, right? And even some of my bigger, so that's like 90% of the stores came to, to me. When I launched, I was coming from a background in sales. So I was like super like ready to be aggressive and like go do the thing that I teach my students to do. I'm like, make your hit list, write this kind of email. This is what your sell sheet should look like. This is what it should say. This is what you should say in your email. Like I was like ready to go and do it finally for myself, right? Like, okay, I already know how to do this yeah. do it for other brands. I've opened hundreds of accounts for all of my other brands. I'm going to go do it for myself now. And on day, like I launched on November 2nd, Day of Muertos, and then Beauty Independent ran an article on my launch day, right? That was like new, you know, announcing, you know, no paleta. And within that first week, JCPenney called me, QVC called me. And my sales manager called me and she was like, Hey, I have 18 years of experience in the luxury goods space. Um, I lived in New York for 18 years. I just moved to LA and I'm looking to add more Latina. She's Latina. She's like, I'm looking to add more Latina owned brands to my portfolio. And I was like, well, I am a sales rep. Like, I I don't know (laughs) about like, you know, (laughs) I'm not sure if I need this because that's what I do for a living, you know? And, but at the time I was still working for another brand. Like when I launched, I was still, I still had my other job, you know? And so I was like, well, I'm still working for Van Loo and ice cream. I spend my days in the freezer at Whole Foods. So yes, I'd, you know, be happy to engage. And like, and also she had the, the relationships with the larger retailers, right? So like I have a lot of contacts in the grocery industry, but I had no desire to sell my product in grocery stores. That's not where I envisioned it. Like I made this for, retail shelf, like premium retail shelves. And so she's the one that helped, you know, engage with Nordstrom and has helped partner with some other, like some other like larger retail partners that I have, like the real, real, or like, you know, beauty heroes, but all of the boutiques, those 200 stores that you're talking about, they emailed me. I mean, again, going back intention. I think this episode name is going to be have an intention. (laughs) Yeah. Do it on purpose. Do it on purpose. 100%. So one of the things that I also hear people struggle with a lot is pricing. 
Yes. And since we're in the numbers, then one of your viral posts was when somebody was like, oh, if you were a true nopalera, and I'm paraphrasing, if you were a true nopalera, then this wouldn't be a $14 bar or something like that. That's right. Yeah. Or no true nopalera would be able to afford this, right? Is I think what she said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, we can totally unpack that and do a quick rant about it because I think... One of the many reasons why Latinos, Latinas, Latinx, Latine, Chicanos have stayed small, poor. <laughs> yeah. It's because we don't support each other. And because we have this idea of what brownness is supposed to look like. Yeah. Where your brand is a luxury brand and why not support it? Mm-hmm. I'll let you comment on it because I can go on and on about this. Yeah, I think there's uh, so many things to unpack about this. Like this could be like a book, right? Like, yeah, like number one, the reason that I created this, one of the reasons I created this brand was not just to fight Eurocentrism, right? That like, if it's Mexican, it can't be expensive or fancy or high end. Mm. And number two, to fight this mentality that somehow Latinos don't have money. Like we're all poor mm-hmm. and which is total like it's just that that's a myth that's a fallacy and to me you know i can't wait to just like do my linkedin post and be like all y'all that did not market to latinos because you thought we didn't have any money you were wrong and here we are right so that is also a fallacy mm-hmm. and like it's like i'm latina i like nice things <laughs> does that mean i'm not latina because i like nice things like right you know and then there's also this mentality that like you know as latinos we we pride ourselves in like our heritage and our, and our roots and our ancestors and like staying close to the earth. And I'm like, just because you're close to the earth and you're grounded does not mean that you have to be poor. And it does not mean mm-hmm. that you don't deserve nice things, right? Like that's not what being grounded means, you know? Yes. So really just, you know, fighting that mentality that like we somehow can't be our true selves and like, you know, channel our ancestors and also like nice things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like our ancestors didn't have nice things because those things didn't exist. <laughs> Well, because the system was so strong that it didn't allow them to get those things. And if we have the privilege to move away from those oppressive systems, why are we oppressing ourselves and why are we oppressing each other by not supporting? Yes. And also, it doesn't mean that we're less like that post, like really like hurt my feelings when that woman said that. But I realized that it's like anyone that's going to come and be like, how dare you be that expensive? I'm like, you are just doing a disservice to all of us yeah. when you have that mentality. You are basically keeping us down. You don't want any of us to rise because we all know that like the more we all have, the more we all give, <laughs> you know? The whole purpose of this brand is to like grow it as big as possible so that I can then go and like help open other doors. You know what I mean? Like all of the things that we're covering today, like, you know, I just recently taught a like a margins and cogs class to founders because I'm like, no one tells you about this. Everyone's just in their house, like making their little thing. And I'm like, that is not how we are going to move on in the world. You know what I mean? Like I have a daughter, you know, like I'm 45 and I only now recently started saving for her because I can, but that's why should it be that way? Like, you know, she should have a college fund. She should have, you know, and et cetera. So yeah. So anyone that believes that like in order to be truly Latino, you know, means that you have to stay broke. Like, I'm sorry, then you're not my people. Mm. I mean, I think it's true. I've, it's something that I, me as a business coach, it's an intuitive business coach I've faced because I've had, I specifically coach Latina women or or women of color. And I've had women go to white women who are charging whatever, because there is still this Eurocentrism that you talk about that they trust the white white person better. Totally. 
I mean, this happens like with culture and with like gender. Like I know women that are like, they would only trust a male doctor. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Your male doctor does not have a vagina, but yes, you want them to be your OBGYN. Okay, whatever. Every teach their own. But yes, to your point, it just, I think the thing is like, when I come up against that, I, I'm really trying to retrain my brain to be like, okay, what you're saying right now is just really a reflection of where you are. It actually has nothing to do with what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? And that's really hard, but I really want to like get to that place where like, I'm just comfortably at that place where I'm like, when someone comes to me, they're like, why is your Latina made product so expensive? I'm going to like, you're just really telling me that you are not worthy of more. You're actually not telling me anything about me because I know that I'm worthy of more. <laughs> yes. Because they're really just saying, how dare you? How dare you feel so worthy is what they're really saying to me. Oh my gosh. Yes. And one thing that I see a lot, a lot with my clients that I'm constantly, I mean, I do tapping. Yeah. So we work on, on dismantling beliefs through somatics. But one thing that happens when we're not tapping, like they come back and they're like, Mer, it's that they take it personally. And so it's like, oh, somebody said that they like couldn't afford this whatever. And so like, do I need to lower my price? So I, and I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. One of my stockists actually, she reached out to me when that post went viral on my Instagram. She wrote me and she was like, you know, thank you for posting this because she's like, I, I deal with this all the time. She has a Mexican, she, oh, San Diego, Artelexia on Ray Street. Ah, see. Yeah. And so she was like, people ask me for discounts all the time. And I'm like, do you walk into anthropology and ask for a discount? No, you do not. Right. So that's just, that's just like my new comeback. I'm like, do you walk into Sephora and you're like, why is this NARS lipstick so much? No, you do not. And so therefore do not ask me the same question. Totally. Like what gives you the right to think that my product is less worthy? Yeah. Because the other product's in French. That's why. Right. <laughs> uh, so what is the next big thing for Nopalera? Well, obviously launching in Nordstrom. So we're just launching in, you know, select locations to begin with in certain states, like where all the Latinos live, you know, California, Texas, you know, et cetera, uh, Florida, Miami, I should say. And then you know, for me personally, like internally, and this is like, maybe not as exciting for other people to hear. But for me, my big goal of 2021 is to remove myself from manufacturing, because I've hit the ceiling, we're like in my Brooklyn studio, I know that I can now only produce X amount of units a month, I just don't have the space to literally make any more. And I can't work on building my brand and building my business, because I'm too much working in the business. Like I'm literally in the kitchen this morning, I was like in my scrubs, you know, like with a spatula in my hand. So I need to, I'm actively looking for like manufacturing partners that will like take my formulas and basically do what I do, but they'll do it. And that way, like, I want to start a blog. I want to, you know, like I want to, like I posted this in my Instagram earlier, where I've been having this idea for this project called the Abuela Diaries, where I want to collect the stories of like, of our abuelas, you know, with like a picture and like a, you know, short story and like have it live on my website for now and eventually maybe into a book. But, you know, I'm just like, you know, we have, I live in New York, we have Ellis Island. Anyone can go there and see like all the pictures of the, of the immigrants that came. Right. And they're all like up on the wall. And I'm like, what about us? Mm. <laughs> you know, our ancestors, nobody seems to be happy that they came. Right. Mm. But yet everybody sure loves to eat the fruits of their labor every single day. Right. So you know, and I come from like my father grew up like, you know, in the in the fields in California and Central Valley, like he used to pick fruit, you know, like that's very much also part of my story. And so, so I want to start a blog, I want to like work on this project, I got all these responses, like, yes, please do it. Like, we have so many stories to tell. And, 
And I just want to engage in the, with the community more. And I can't do that because I'm literally stuck in manufacturing. So my big goal for 2021 is like remove manufacturing from my plate so that I can then really engage with the community more and really build it into a, a cultural platform, which was my idea from the beginning. Like my idea from the beginning mm-hmm. was not just like, oh, I want to sell soap. My idea from the beginning was like, this is going to be a cultural platform, you know, and I just also happen to sell soap, right? Yes. And obviously grow it as big as possible, right? Because I didn't come here to play small. <laughs> Boom. I love that. Where can we find you? You can find me at nopalera.co. So not .com, but .co. And then on Instagram, nopalera.co. So that's that's pretty much where I am. I love it. And hopefully your local boutique and local Nordstrom store if you live in California or Texas. <laughs> and to support, could people go to their local boutique and say, hey, you need to bring Nopalera to your store? 100%. Yeah. It's another way to support. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, if you're in San Diego, like you can go to Atelexia on Ray Street. There's another store in Golden Hills. Native Poppy is their name, I think. Oh, Native Poppy. Yeah. And they don't carry the full, I think they just carry the exfoliant maybe. But anyway, people can always like write me, you know, on Instagram and ask like, hey, are you in my in my city? And I'll, I'll let them know. But it's you not know, online, right? Yeah, exactly. Last question about business yeah. that's coming to me that people are probably wondering, when do they know that they're ready to go out and sell to boutiques and, and stores and et cetera? I always recommend starting online first and trying to really... Again, like you need to know who you're selling to. And the ideal way is actually for stores to come to you because they see that you've created something beautiful and unique. I mean, think about a boutique. It's small. They have very select Mm -hmm. offerings, right? It's totally the opposite of a grocery store where you have like 27,000 types of drinks, right? Like a whole aisle of chips, right? Yeah. So a boutique is like, it's all about selection, right? So they're like, okay, every single thing that's there has to be unique. And so I think that people need to learn to be dispassionate about their brand, like look at it from not your perspective, right? It's you can't look at it like your baby, right? Because everyone thinks that their baby photo is the prettiest photo ever, right? But you're like, to everyone else, (laughs) it looks like a baby, right? Right. And I'm saying that as a mom, right? So I think you really want to understand, like do your homework before you try to pitch to a boutique or any retailer, you need to go and look at what they have, right? Because you Mm. need to be able to come with like, what is it? What's your offer to them? Your offer cannot be that Mm. you think that your candle smells good because everybody that makes candles thinks that their candle smells good, right? And I tell this to like my food and beverage students. I'm like, your opinion is actually is not a selling tactic. (laughs) That is not how we sell our products. You don't tell the buyer at Whole Foods that you think your drink tastes great. They're going to be like, oh God, you know, everyone thinks that. So what is the opportunity for them to bring in your product? So I think that how do you know when you're ready? You know, you're ready when you've done your homework Mm. and you can walk into that store and you're like, wow, they don't have anything like my handmade blah, blah, blah. Right. And you, you know that if you offer to them, it's going to be like a true offer to them because this could really add value to their assortment. You pitch it from that angle. Always. And it's the same Mm -hmm. for for food and beverage, it's like you like, what is the offer, right? And the offer has mm-hmm. nothing to do with your opinion. So if you are like, okay, I'm ready to sell in boutiques, and you're going to write them an email about what you think, then no, you're not ready, because you haven't truly understood, like how to position your product in terms of like, what is the offer for the person on the other side of the table? 100%. I used to work with not consumer goods, different kind of product, but to Costco and to like, and talking to buyers is a war. It's a, it's you're oh, going yeah, it's hard. into battle. I know I did it for a living. Yep. Yeah. Once you flip that switch in your mind of like service mindset and you're like, I need to tell mm-hmm. this person what's in it for them. 
everything changes. 100%. And also I would say like, depending on where you want to sell, right? Because again, like I branded my product and I invested in photography because of where I wanted it to end up, right? So if you're like, my goal is just to sell it at the farmer's market, then that's your market, right? Like no pun intended, right? Then that's where, <laughs> that's who you're making it for. And what do that, what does that crowd like, you know, what are they looking for? And so you need to create your product based off of where you want to go. Like, for example, all of my products have professional barcodes on them. Because if you're going to go into a professional retailer, you need to have barcodes, like GS1 yeah. barcodes that you pay for that, you know, are printed yeah. on your boxes. And that was, again, like from the beginning, like there was no, a lot of brands, like they don't put them on because they're like, oh, I have no intention of selling into bigger stores. Okay, then that's a decision, right? Like then you decided mm-hmm. that you're going to be a small brand that's not going to sell in stores so that you can't be mad that you're not in those stores. <laughs> Correct. Take away from this episode, listeners, make a decision from the beginning, have a vision, be patient, and take aligned action. Do it on purpose. Do it on purpose. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I love it. Thank you, Sandra, so much for coming to Cafe Compom. I think we could stay talking and like just unpacking so many things, but I know you're busy and have things to do, so I will let you go. This was super fun. Thank you for Nopalera for creating it, for having that vision, that strong intention, And the patience to build it, because a lot of times it's when we're building businesses, it's like, can we just get there already? And so it's also a lesson to be patient and and surrender into the process, because the reminder is that doing business is political. And if we really want to change the ways, it takes time. That's right. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. Stay shining. All right, listeners, that was the conversation with Sandra Velasquez. I hope you enjoyed it so much. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on what we talked about, how you feel about it. Did it bring up anything of the many things that we discussed? And a great way to share is to tag me on social. You can tag me, you can tag Nopalera on social media. That way we both know that you listen, what resonated with you. It's the easiest and quickest way to share what your thoughts are, because they're always welcome. Now, if you feel called to leave a review, if you love the show and you want to leave your thoughts in the form of a review, you can do so. And I appreciate it so much. If you feel called to, I know it takes some time, so I appreciate it. And I'll leave you with four questions that you can ask yourself. So you have a bit of a starting point. What do you love about the show? What were you excited before you listened? What happened after you listened? And how would you describe the show to your best friend? And these are very simple questions that you can think about as you write your review that can help you get a little bit more specific when leaving your thoughts if you don't already have some to share. And thank you so much for taking the time to leave your reviews. It really, truly makes a difference for the show. It allows the show to come to the surface. It gives us visibility, our stories visibility, and more people get to listen to our stories from us, which is the purpose of Cave Compam. So thank you so much for taking the time not only to leave your review, but also to listen. I am grateful for you being here. If you are new here at Cave Compam, welcome home. I hope you feel nice and warm and welcomed. I hope you come back for another episode. Don't go back to the beginning episodes because that was a long time ago and I have grown and we have grown together. Cafe Kumpam has grown. So can't wait for you to come enjoy another cup of coffee with us. Hit that subscribe button and we'll see you on the next one. I would, of course, want to continue the conversation. Keep connecting. You can follow me on social media at Cafe Kumpam Podcast on all the platforms, Instagram and 
and Facebook. You can join the Cafe Compam Challenge, which is a free five-day challenge to help you get more organized. And Manis, I've been thinking about this. I think the Cafe Compam Challenge might go away. I don't know. I'm in this like messy middle kind of place of my business, but I'll do a whole episode about it. You can also check out the different offers that I have for small business owners, which is who I work with. And for Latinas, Power Sisters is my group coaching program where we support one another. It's an accountability program that is based and rooted on our identity and mindful productivity. Find mypowersister.com to learn more about that. The doors are open now for Aligned, which is my business mastermind for women-owned businesses, for women of color specifically. And this is the place where we can co-create together. We can dismantle the old ways of doing business. And I can't wait to share all the things that I've been cooking there and This is why the Cafe Compound Challenge might not make sense to what I do now. I don't know. Tell me what you think. So for Aligned, you can check that out at alignedcollective.club. Alignedcollective.club. And check out all the things. That's my site. Get to know me a little bit if this is the first time you can't hear me. I'm here for you. I'm creating for you. And I can't wait to continue the conversation because this is, this is why I do what I do. I like to have in-depth conversations. And I started the show because I was asking too many questions and I was getting way too many beautiful answers not to share them. So Cafe Compamix says to share. Sharing is caring. Y bueno, thank you so much for being here. Support small businesses, support Latina-owned. Don't question our pricing. Invest in yourself. You're worth it. Y como siempre, stay shining. <laughs>